On this episode, we talked about crypto again, RRSPs, and what to look for when you're choosing your advisor. I'm Scott Goodfellow. This is Ben Hart, and this is Think Thanks. at Heart. Episode number three feels like we've done a hundred. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, for sure. Hey. For sure. Getting, lo- getting lots of positive comments about my uh, Hawaiian background on our weekly roundup last week. Oh my god, what a <laughs> poop show that was! Hey? That's the thing, hey. When you have uh, technology is great while it works. When it yeah. doesn't, it's frustrating as as, as all heck. But yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, we got through it. We Episode did. three. Yeah. We're getting a we're getting the hang of things. I've. Uh, People have been asking too, what's in the mug? Yes. And if I was if I was a drinker, you know, but I'm not, so it's water. <laughs> uh, it's very true, very true. The drinking days are long gone, right? Oh, I know. I can't handle it. It's the hangovers you can't handle. For sure. All right, so let's get right into it. Okay. Uh, big week, big week in the markets, big week uh, in the world, the economy with yeah. the elections. Yeah. Why don't you bring us up to speed? what's going on in the world yeah it was uh, i mean it was a big week there's lots uh lots going on obviously a change of leadership in the u.s was was a big thing um this pandemic continues to roll on and it looks like biden's going to take a different tact as he comes in uh you got uh the economy is starting to continue to, to heat up um but uh you know I, obviously over the weekends i spent a lot of time trying to catch up on what i missed throughout the week and so there's a few things that i read this weekend that kind of triggered me a little bit and um, you know i've talked often about the us dollar being a big driver of all things and so for for the first time in a really long time we saw a higher low in the us dollar and uh that uh, is a signal to pay attention to um, if you continue to see those kind of those those higher lows um, tends to indicate a sign that maybe the U.S. dollar is strengthening and some of those other assets are weakening. So it's something to that causes me to pay a lot of attention to. The other piece, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about is crypto, but I read a great institutional piece on on what what institutional managers are thinking about it, what it is that their issues and concerns are and what the potential is. So lots to cover there. Made a few changes last week, which uh, which we, we can chat about a little bit, but nothing really material from a changing perspective. There's a couple of companies that I think we've watched and talked about a little bit here and there, like uh, Galaxy Digital was one that we've been watching that uh, they have a good uh, blockchain behind them and uh, Novogratz is a CEO of the company. Um, so definitely lots, lots happening, but that US dollar that I read about this weekend is something I pay a lot of attention to and uh, something that I'll be watching closely this week. Yeah, I mean, uh, it seemed like, it seemed like, you know, there was a lot going on in the world, but it didn't, the market didn't really, really react that much to it. Would you say? Not much at all. No. Yeah. yeah. Is that a surprise? Is that really a surprise? Uh, not really. I mean, tends to, the, it seems to be a lot of hype leading up to a president uh, coming into power. Obviously, when Trump came in four years ago, 2016, you know, that was that was a crazy evening from a volatility perspective. 
you know, when, when uh, around midnight, when I was, was watching markets, he had futures down, like Dow futures down like 1200 points. I thought it was going to be a great day to buy. By the time we got to the open, the markets was, the markets were up. So, you know, unless you're an institutional investor trading in those after hours markets and be able to participate in it, you miss that whole uh, turn. But, uh, you know, with this, with this kind of, you know, view that Biden was going to come in and he's going to be a lot like we saw him before. He spent four years in the White House as the vice president. You know, we got a pretty good picture for what he's like. Janet Yellen's going to be secretary treasurer. Uh, she was head of the Federal Reserve. We know what she's going to be like. We know what Powell's going to be like. So when you got three of the major players and driving economic activity in the U.S., you, you get a you get a pretty good picture for what to expect. So I think we saw some of that. Obviously, the market sold off a bit on Friday. Um, nothing material, but I think the I think the market's now digesting, saying, you know, where do we go from here? But uh, yeah, you know, I think what, we got known entities. Right. Yeah. What is the what is the market and the economy? How do they usually react going from Republican to Democrat? Is there usually any difference there is one better for the economy than the other that's a good question um so i think that historically speaking anyways that the markets have been a little better with the democratic uh leadership um and uh so i'd say from an economic perspective yeah yeah i can think there's a kind of a school of thought that republicans are better for the economy but historically from a market sentiment perspective a democrat uh, leadership has been better right yeah gotcha yeah gotcha all right well um so what are we dealing with in our day-to-day business right now i can tell you from my standpoint is we're getting a lot of um a lot of requests for people to t- top up TFSAs. Yep. Right. Uh, not a lot yep. of change there year over year. The maximum is still $6,000. Yep. Uh, if I'm correct about that. And we got RSP season um, ramping up too. So uh, we have a lot of clients are just talking about that right now, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 So how do we handle that from our standpoint? Like as the advisors, what what's what's our typical um, approach to these types of things? Yeah. You know, I think that uh, the, uh, the thing that I think that I have lots of conversations with, which I've had over the last couple of days, even around, should I continue to contribute to my RSP? And so I met with a client recently who's got a corporation, have an RSP, got lots of money saved in the corporation and their RSP. They have their, they max out their tax-free savings account. They're also putting money away into a, a corporate estate bond, which is permanent uh, insurance, which we could talk about in another segment. And so they're, you know, they've, they've done, they've been a really good saver in all these buckets. And so, you know, we start to have those conversations around, should I continue to put money into my RSP now that it's, we'll say, you know, a million dollars, um, or should I put my, leave money in the corporation and, and have it grow there? And so, you know, I think RSPs are still pretty misunderstood when, when you think about things. I still have conversations with clients and say, well, I didn't know I could buy stocks in my RSPs, or I didn't know I could do this in my RSPs. And so, you know, I, 
you know, there's a couple of things. I mean, the first thing is, is that an RSP is just an account, just a bucket. Like within that bucket, you can put in there whatever you want. You want stocks, you want bonds, you want GICs, you want mutual funds, you want ETFs. You can put anything you want in that RSP bucket. So it's just a bucket. It's just a holding place. Now, when you contribute to it, that's that's where we start to have more further conversations. But, you know, I, I'd say that, you know, first of all, it's just a bucket where you can hold whatever you want in there. So that's kind of step one when I think about RSPs from a simplistic perspective. Mm-hmm. But but then the question is, should I continue to contribute to it? And so there's kind of a, this misconception that, well, I'm always going to pay tax on it anyways. Why would I put money in there? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, for example, if you're in the top tax bracket today, right, and you don't have a pension, and so you're saving for, for yourself, and so you're paying 53% or so in the kind of the top tax bracket. And so if you put you know, $100 into an RSP, you're going to get back essentially 50 cents on that, uh, on that dollar. Okay. Mm. So why is this relevant? Well, that's positive. Of course, you want to get some tax money back. But the reason you put it in now is because potentially in the future, say you get to be age 65 and you have, we'll say, you know, a million and a half dollars in your RSP and you don't have a pension, you don't have any other income, Maybe you start drawing CPP and OAS, or maybe you don't. Um, maybe you defer it. And say you defer it to age 70, CPP and OAS, then all you have from an income perspective is your RSP. So from 65 to 70, maybe you say, I'm going to start drawing income out of my RSP. Okay, so you start drawing income out of the RSP. You know, your first, uh, you know, your first 15,000 is tax-free. And then on top of that, you start paying tax and then you go to 5% and 15%. But essentially you can take out, uh, you know, somewhere around $60,000, $70,000 and be in a reasonable, you know, 18 to 23% tax bracket, where if you remember, you contributed, you got a, you were in a 50% tax bracket, and then you took it out when you were in a 20 plus percent tax bracket, well, you got a 30% IRB, right? You got a 30% tax savings by making that decision. Right. Right. So would you say that it's more a uh, tax strategy than it is an investment strategy? Oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. I'd say that I'd say it's both. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you take a take it as a pure tax strategy, then you'd probably be doing only safe things in there. So right. if you went, I'm going to buy GICs and bonds and just take the difference from a tax perspective, then yes, that's a pure tax strategy. Mm -hmm. But if you want to do a combination of tax strategy plus some kind of growth potential as well on top of that, you Mm -hmm. can do, you can do that as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and then where does, where does the TFSA fit in with all that as well? So, um, you know, it's an interesting debate. And so I think that, uh, you know, I, I guess I would look at it and I think everybody's situation is different, but I would say, you know, you look at the TFSA and you're comparing the TFSA versus an RSP and, you know, for, you know, if you're in your sixties, you've probably already contributed to your RSP and it probably makes sense to just continue to keep doing that. If you're 25 years old, um, does it make sense to put money into an RSP over a TFSA? 
the answer is probably not, but everyone's situation is different. Mm-hmm. So like, um, say for example, I don't know, maybe you're, uh, you know, you're a technology uh, individual and you're making 300,000 a year and you're 25. Should you contribute to your RSP? Probably you should do that and the TFSA. But if you're like the average 25 year old, you don't have a big income, so you're probably not paying a lot of tax right now. You know, the only reason you might do it is because you're going to save some tax. You want to buy a house in the future. When you buy a house, you can take money out of your RSP tax-free to for the down payment on the house. So I'd say everyone's situation is different, but I'd say on a high-level perspective, if you're a 25-year-old and you're looking to park a, f- a few dollars that you've saved, the TFSA is going to be the better better choice for you. Gotcha. So in what situation then would you, because I know we have clients that have TFSAs, RSPs, and margin or investment accounts, right? Yep. So that's the ideal strategy, right? You, you, ta- you max out all those things and then you also have your investment account. How, yep. how do they trade differently or do they trade differently on all those accounts? Yeah, so I think it's probably a, a personal preference um, for each individual, but I, I certainly have a view on it. Um, you know, there's a couple of things that you probably think about when you're investing in the different pools. And so, you know, in the investment account, there's pros and cons to being aggressive in there. Obviously, the con is if you make a lot of money, then you're going to pay capital gains taxes. Uh, the pro is if you lose some of that money, you got some capital losses that you can use to offset some of those gains. Mm. But everything in that open account, you're going to pay tax on either it's deferred or you're going to pay dividends or, or interest. Obviously with Canadian dividends, you get a dividend tax credit. So there's some benefits to owning dividend paying stocks inside of the investment account. But, you know, so some people prefer to be aggressive in there because if they're wrong, then they got losses that they can use. You know, if they've sold the building or if they've done some other things, they can use those losses for for that, too, if they've made some mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, I would take a view that you still you do want to kind of continue to prune that portfolio, even if you are a little bit growthy, you don't want to end up, you know, at, at 65, 70 and have a four million dollar capital gain baked in in there. Because mm. it's some that's a giant tax liability that you're going to pass on to the next generation. So, generally speaking, I'd say people look at the investment account more of the as the more growthy part of their mm-hmm. portfolio. And then, when the RSP, I mean, the RSP had historically been really that place where it was more of the safe uh, pool of money in there. So one of the things, though, that's evolved over the years is obviously yields have come way down. So it's not as effective as it was. Um, and, uh, you know, fixed income's different now. You didn't really trade it before because you knew you could get 5 6%, where now you'd be more prone to kind of trade that fixed income because yield, like um, duration is moving up and down. So there's more money to be made kind of trading fixed income. So it's changed a bit. But one of the unique things that RSPs offer is that if you own U- U.S. Um, stocks, if you own U.S. stocks in your RSP, you don't pay any withholding tax. So right now, as a Canadian, when you own U.S. stocks in your investment account, 
um, you pay a 15% withholding tax. Mm-hmm. But if you're if you hold that inside the RSP, because of the structure of the RSP is a trust, um, you don't pay any withholding tax. So there are some benefits to think about maybe holding some of your US stocks in the RSP. Gotcha. Yeah, man, we're really getting the weeds here. Hey, who knew we we're getting the weeds of the RSPs so right. early on in the episode? Exactly, right hey. out of the, right out of the gate. We should have started with crypto. <laughs> Be more, more fun. <laughs> oh man, uh, just stick with the RSPs for for a minute. We may as well sew it up. Sure. Is uh, what are some situations where you it doesn't make sense to invest in RSP? Right? There'd be some other, there's some other products that would be better for you. What situations would be? Yeah. So I think if, uh, if you have a pile of money, you have a pile of revenue and income that it's not likely that you'll ever be in a lower tax bracket. And in my view, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. So you, you know, you probably want to look at maybe some other tax planning strategies. And obviously we're, we're getting, going to get an accountant in at uh, some point in the next few episodes. And hopefully we can dig into that in a bit more detail, but you could do some, some tax planning strategies that might be more effective. Um, yeah, there's some, uh, some ways to save money in, in different ways and avenues. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Anything else you want to say about the RSPs or TFSAs or anything for that matter? That's not uh, boring. <laughs> Besides that last rant that we just had about the benefits of it. Yeah, yeah no, it was good. I yeah. was actually good. I'm just yeah. teasing you, but it was good. Yeah. And yeah. no, I mean, TFSAs, I didn't talk about too much, but, you know, again, let me just probably quick, quick riff on TFSAs because some people still don't understand how they work from that perspective. Obviously, you can put in a certain amount every year and that amount accumulates. So if you have never used it, um, then, uh, you know, you, you have uh, um, close to $80,000 you can put into a TFSA right now. But essentially how they work, though, is that you put money in, you don't get a tax benefit, but any money that you make in there um, is tax free. And then if you want to pull money out of it, say your portfolio has grown from 80 to 120, you want to take the 40,000 out that you've made, you pull that 40,000 out, don't pay tax on it, do what you want with it. But it opens that $40,000 of room up again in the TFSA. So in the next calendar year, because you have to wait a year, if you want, you can put that 40,000 back in plus the 6,000 plus inflation uh, back into the TFSA. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I bet most of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, let's uh, move on to something a little more exciting and my uh, my favorite subject every week right now. Yeah. Uh, either love it or hate it. Yeah. It's cryptocurrency. Yeah. And I'll be the first to say, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. It went down. <laughs> it went down, right? <laughs> um, always gives me a pan attack. I, ben always knows when it goes down because I call him immediately and ask him if I should sell it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and then he talks me off a ledge and then we move on with our lives. Yeah, but right. uh, yeah, so why don't you talk a little bit about what's what happened with it this week? And uh, Yeah, it's been a volatile week. I'm just looking here as, uh, as we talk here on Sunday night. Bitcoin's around 32,600, give or take. And Ethereum is, uh, looks like around 1400. So they, it's had some volatile sessions as well. Um, but, 
Yeah, I mean, look, so we've had multiple conversations around it. And there's just been, I, I think the overarching old school thinking around financial markets is there's too much volatility for it. But, you know, there's the other school of thought is if you want to make money in an asset class, you want volatility, right? So, you know, so I, I take it and look at it from, from multiple ways. But, you know, yesterday or last week, we had some days and some decent drawdowns. And, you know, we're, I think we were down 10% one of the days last week, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, I can't remember exactly. Um, but, you know, if we would have had that kind of panic selling uh, 12 months ago, you know, it would have been down, you know, 40, 50%. So you can see that the volumes, what's happening in the volumes, you can see what's happening is that a lot of those, those kind of panic sells are being bought and they're being bought at scale and they're being bought by, you know, I'd say longer term investors as you look at who's been buying those, we'll call it buying the dips. And so it'd be kind of that longer term, uh, less high frequency trading money has been buying it. So I'd say that that'd be the positive. Um, so that was, that was dramatic for sure. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like, um, I think with anything new like this, you know, there's going to be a lot of skeptics still sure. on it. Right. Kind Even of. though I know a lot of our clients have been sending us, uh, you know, negative, <laughs> negative information on it, which is, I, I love getting that stuff. I love seeing the both sides of the coin. Me too. Pardon the pun. Yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> I, <got> uh, <laughs> uh, I love reading both sides of the coin. And they're, you know, yeah. of course, yeah. it's going to have skeletons in the closets and, you know, some stories come out about. But yeah. I think that's probably the case for any any kind of new asset or anything like that, right? Is it sure. uh, there's going to be some sort of negative story about anything, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's been forever. Like I, I, you know, this is the, probably the last time we had something similar to this would have been like gold or like maybe commodities trading. Like there hasn't been, there hasn't been anything really in my investment career that has the potential to uh, disrupt so many different things right. as, as this has. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, I keep my eye on it. Obviously I have investments in it myself, but, and it's interesting, yep. you know, it's something new, Yeah. right? Somebody, uh, I was listening to Raw Powell's real vision on the weekend and somebody was asking him like, are you still a macro guy? Because all you ever talk about is crypto now. Right. And he said, well, to be honest, there's nothing real really going on right now to talk about. Right. That's as significant as this, which is, is true again whatever your yeah. vision your view on it is you know it's pretty much the biggest mover right yeah. or movers yeah as far as uh ethereum's concerned and, and bitcoin is concerned but you know like the experts the guys like that seem to think and I, i'm not sure that i buy into this but the numbers they're throwing out is they they think it's going to go to 100k by summer yeah right yeah. And listen, like I, I, uh, I read a pretty good deck from, uh, somebody that I respect quite a bit in the investment world that manages, you know, $2 billion, like a big investment manager who gave their annual presentation, uh, to their client base. And, uh, there was nothing in the deck about it. Nothing yeah. in the deck about crypto. And I was shocked. Like I, I said to him afterwards, you know, how come? And 
I guess it was addressed in a Q and a session that I wasn't part of. Um, but you know, so it is still not there yet from a, from an acceptance perspective. And so while the risks continue to be there for central banks and, and if it gets banned, I mean, that's the risk, that's a key risk, which we talk about every week, but if that doesn't happen, which I, I don't believe it will, yeah. you know, when these billion dollar portfolios decide they're going to take a position in it uh, it's i mean it's a skinny market <laughs> and so when it's a skinny or narrow market where there's not a lot of liquidity there then yeah. what happens is you get a squeeze yeah and so and hey and hey let's call a spade a spade here like uh most investment like i think i mentioned either on the podcast last week or maybe it was on our weekly roundup that we're the only ones in our institution that are trading it right now anyway and maybe i don't want to say you know across all institutions but we're certainly one of the only advisors that are uh, that are trading that right yeah so uh you know if you're interested in it our investment group little plug there because the reality is a lot of the the other investors or the other uh, just don't have the balls to do it right yeah. it's yeah. way too risky they're 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 not willing to to take that risk uh at all so let's just talk about that for one second too okay because i think that uh it's true that's how the view that's kind of the sentiment is i'm taking risk i'm like when i look yeah. at it i'm like you know let's just take for example like uh, your bitcoin versus tesla yeah. and so obviously there's the lovers of tesla like this thing's going to the moon you know it trades at 600 times earnings it's worth all of the car companies in the world you know and you can have a conversation with someone about buying tesla they think it's a great investment i think it's, yeah. it's crazy they're like yeah. they're not even in the same category like tesla's risk level is through the moon where bitcoin's risk level is still risky but it's way down here from a comparison that. perspective i couldn't agree more yeah yeah i couldn't agree more and that's a great point yeah um yeah i mean that that's that's a really good point i mean and i i think that's a good segue into you know i mentioned different advisors having different strategies and mm -hmm. um we talked a little bit about last week about most of them just buying funds most investors or uh i just buying funds and whatnot and one of the things we often hear is because we just moved institutions uh about two months ago so that's often a question that we got is i think a lot of people think that they need to stick with the institution and the uh, investment advisor that uh, they bank with, hmm. right? Because yep. a lot of them come in through retail banking, right? And then they get introduced to an advisor and then, then you hmm. kind of take over the business, hmm. right? Hmm. But um, let's just talk a little, little bit about that, that, you know, the, the advisor isn't really, isn't, you're, you're not buying the bank's strategy, no. basically. No, no. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that uh, obviously we did touch a little bit on kind of these different levels within the channels. So, you know, if you're dealing with a, a Mr. Banker at the bank, you're going to buy their products. Um, and so, you know, if that person moves, you can kind of interchange that person because they're, you know, they're, they're selling the bank products. But then when you right. get to the next level where you have a significant amount of money invested and you deal with some somebody like us, um, then you're going to have your advisors are the ones that are driving the decisions that are, that are making the choices around whether you're in this stock bond 
even in the funds, right? Like if you talk, if you go to a guy sitting, you know, three offices down from me, he's going to have his own style and his own decision-making process. And so, yeah. So ultimately you're, you're dealing with that person. Um, and obviously they're supported by the institution they're at, but you're dealing with that individual. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because we just went through this whole transition from one institution to another. I think it's funny that because the conversations that you have to have when you move, I think a lot of people are, didn't know that they could actually even move. Right. They, yep, they thought, oh, sure. I have my money at, uh, at this bank and I'm going to keep it there and, yeah. and that's it. But then you yeah. say, no, no, you can come with me. It doesn't make a difference at all. You can still mm-hmm. bank at that same bank. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I think opens up another thing, too, is that, I mean, people, if they're looking for an advisor right yeah we it doesn't have to be in that city either right especially nowadays with i mean advisors are so virtual yeah right you don't have to sit down we don't have to come to your house have a weird meeting with no shoes on you know everybody's in their sock feet you know at the kitchen table and uh, having those ones now we can have a meeting like this yeah right yeah so you could i mean essentially we can go across province as well right yeah across provinces yeah 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 right yeah, for sure. I mean, we have clients in in uh, in uh, BC and Calgary and uh, Winnipeg and uh, yeah. in Quebec and Newfoundland and Halifax. Yeah. So yeah, for sure, absolutely. So yeah. if you're listening to this, and um, <laughs> this is a second plug, we don't normally do that. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I like, but I'm using it as an example, right? Yeah. Is yeah. that is that if you you know if you're in BC and you been listening to this podcast and you like what we do well they could literally just call us up we could have a meeting with them and we could yeah. then be, become their advisors right sure sure for sure same for sure same paperwork yeah. absolutely right. yeah yeah so you know oftentimes that's uh, so i had I had a conversation with a prospect on friday um and uh as as we often do so the the questions and the conversations become well you know what is it that you do that's different um how uh how do i compare you to another advisor how do i decide if you're the right fit for me you know like these are all obviously soft questions and it's it's hard to kind of kind of put your finger on that specifically to see what it is that that you want but you know one of the one of the answers to that question that i had for for this client and you know i think ultimately though which i'll get to in one second but you know i've always said this and when he asked me this he said have you know have you have you uh, you lost clients before and of course and i said you know what it comes down to is the relationship is is between you and me so you know if you if we're on the same page and we we know we're going in the same direction then we work together to get there like we don't want to have a combated relationship. And so some advisors have kind of that combative relationship with their, with their clients. They want to argue and discuss and, and fight through things. You know, that's not going to be the relationship I'm going to have. And if you want to have that relationship with your advisor, that's going to be with somebody else. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta spend a lot of time trying to see what that right fit is for you. Um, but you gotta have that kind of that, that mutual goal with you know i'm trying to get you somewhere trying to get you to where you need to be and so let's 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 see how we do that together and and uh and we work through uh we work through that but 
I'd say the biggest differentiator though that we have is it's really the the risk management process and really thinking about, you know, managing that downside. And so I don't know if we had this conversation or not last week, but you know, I I don't think so because I I met a client this week and um you know, we talked a little bit about performance and I won't tell, say about the performance this year, but we outperformed uh, their benchmark and we had, you know, 10% of the drawdown of the index. And so, you know, when, when I say that, you say, you know, say the, uh, what happened is your portfolio was a million dollars coming into February 1st and it dropped to 600,000 because that's what the TSX did. It dropped 37%. Um, and then closed uh, up about two, 3% by the end of the calendar year for the TSX for the calendar year. So some people look at that as, okay, well, you know, if I went to sleep on January 1st and then woke up December 31st and I saw that I was up three, you know, probably there's, there's nobody the wiser, but you know, if you're a million dollars, when you looked at it on March 23rd, it was worth $600,000. You're going to have a panic attack. And lots of people did. And lots of people were panicked. And lots of advisors I talked to through that period of time were panicked as well. And my clients didn't feel that drawdown because you know, coming into this year, I thought we we're going to have a mild recession. So I bought some, some long bonds and portfolios, owned some puts and some protection and a lot of things that, that other people do because I think it's important to be active. And like, you know, even though maybe you get to a similar destination, you don't want to be in a roller coaster. I think that's the, the biggest uh, challenge that people have, but it's what I, what we do that's different. And we're really managing that, uh, that risk. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Great point. So let's in that kind of same vein, this is actually the last question I have, but, um, I noticed, and I've, I've been reading a lot about the market, right, and kind of looking at its history in the last little while and how people invest and, and whatnot. And I actually noticed that fewer and fewer people, people year over year, seem to be investing in the stock market. Yeah. With the exception of the last nine months. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So why do you think that is? Why do you think leading up to that point, I think we know the answer. For, well, actually, maybe we don't know the answer. So maybe you can talk about before that nine months and after the nine months. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so leading into it, I think uh, uh, a lot of things were driving that. I think there was a lot less interest in investing in, in stocks. Um, people were long feeling the effects of the, the great financial crisis. Uh, 2008, 2009, obviously. And so that shook a lot of people out of the market and they look to do other things um, there, whether they're investing in businesses or real estate or uh, other types of investments, they're looking for alternative ways. And so, you know, if you've been, you know, say you're in your kind of mid fifties, uh, early sixties, you've gone through the worst bear markets in history a couple of times. And so that does certainly shake the foundation of, of how you invest. And like you, you remember that obviously, right? You feel the losses more than you uh, feel the wins. So like the people continue to have that kind of mentality. And additionally, if you were, you know, a gen, gen, gen Y and you, you know, you're 
early in your career, 2008, 2009, you didn't have any money. So it took a long time before you had money saved, uh, before you can invest in things. And so, you know, I think you had a lot less people investing and kind of trading the market. Um, and then I'd say in the last nine months, what you've had is you've had uh, a, a, a total resurgence of day trading which is uh, circa 1999, 2000. And so you've had a kind of everybody come flooding back to this market where, you know, and now you can pick up your phone, right? And uh, download a, an app and start trading for free. So you can trade for free now. <laughs> yeah. Like it's crazy, yeah. right? So you've had a lot of people like, you know, whether in Canada or the U S and the U S you can look at the statistics. I'm, I'm sure it's in one of my, uh, one of my dailies where uh, it shows where all the different uh, demographics spent their money that they got from the government to the U S and a big, uh, in the top five and all demographics in the top five, um, it went to stocks. And so you've had, I would have guessed hot tubs. <laughs> Depending what part of the United States. <laughs> hey, hey, there's that main street mentality coming out again. Hey. Exactly. Uh, so, so, so it's come back to stocks and you've seen like Davey day trader, right? You see these guys come out. I don't know if you saw this TikTok last week about uh, these, this couple from the, you know, central, like central of the United States talking about how they, they uh, just stay at home and they trade stocks all day. They just buy a stock and when it goes up, they just sell it and they take the profit and then they do it again and they just buy it and they trade and like, so they're retired and life's great for them. It's easy. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, that's, isn't it easy like that? That's how I will. Uh, why don't we do that? <laughs> isn't that so, our job? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm certain that's not going to end well. It's not, I'm not going to be funny no. for them for sure. But no. uh, it. Uh, so because of the ease of it, because of the free money, uh, yeah. what, what we've seen too is that because the money is limited, right? Like say you get $2,000. What's the best way to risk that $2,000? And the best way to risk that $2,000 is to trade options. Because if you trade options, you get leverage, right? So right. you've seen an explosion in option trading and, and primarily on the call side, right? Because if you're, call, you're buying a call, you're speculating that the stock's going to go higher. And so you've seen like off the charts call buying um, and lots of days in the last multiple months, you've seen more call buying um, volume than you've seen volume in the underlying stocks in some of these. Mm. We've never seen this in history. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I mean, that's the thing, though, about uh, I think I think markets like this make people nervous. But I think, you know, people the reason why it's like that is because of the volatility, right? I mean, the opportunity is in the volatility. If it was just, you know, flatlined or little ups and downs, then you're not going to have those that amount of day trading, right? Because for sure, not not those predictable spikes for sure. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Um, moving on. <laughs> what else do you have? Do you have anything? Uh, so the the only thing that uh, I think that uh, is going to be the most important from a market perspective here is what's going to happen to the US dollar and volatility. So right now, like this volatility has been elevated 
And so coming into the start of last year, we had volatility like in the single digits, 9, 10, 11, and it was stuck there for about two years. Like that's uh, that's a dream for ETFs, right? Because no volatility, kind of an upward trending market. This is easy. We don't need anybody to help us. And then we had vol- volatility explode um, in 2000 or in the start of this year, and then it stayed elevated. So it went up to you know, I think something like 80 VIX. Um, came back down to 40, 30, kind of traded 20 to 30 for a long time. Now it's coming down into the lower 20s volatility, which is still historically high. Um, so, you know, so I'm, I'm going to be watching that volatility spectrum and U.S. dollar. If we start to see vol move up again into the high 20s, low 30s. You're likely getting a stronger U.S. dollar, and you're likely getting weaker risk assets. So that, that again, that plays a part in everything you do. Um, and uh, so those two key things, I think, are very important to watch here. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, man, it's a good one. Man, they they fly by, and we're getting better. We're getting better for yeah. sure. Hey, yeah. the witty yeah. banter is just off the charts for this one. <laughs> hey, getting there. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, you know, because uh, we want to keep it legal. You wanted yes. to read. Uh, yes, you wanted yes. to read a yes, yes, little yes. disclaimer for sure. So we'll let, let it rip. All right, let's go. So this is not intended to be investment advice. You should always speak with a licensed advisor before proceeding on any investment strategy. Everyone has their own risk tolerance and you should adhere to that. This broadcast is for information purposes only and are the opinions of the Heart Investment Group or and or any guests. That's Great. it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, episode three in the bank. Uh, we think episode four four we may be having a special guest so uh if not four then probably five but hopefully number four we won't let that out of the bag yet who that's going to be but uh we're excited we're going to hopefully have get more guests on moving forward yep um get a little more specific on things so uh yeah so that's it so thanks everybody for tuning in uh think at heart episode three in the bag Thank you.